first rule of thumbs is, well, if that person's not here, let's not talk about them. Let's wait and bring both of you in and we'll get together and we'll talk about it. And then once you hear that other half of the story, it begins to make perfect sense. You tend to see that somebody has either perceived something very wrong or took it, twisted it, made it something else in their own head. Or the other thing could be that it's all 100% completely right, but I've yet to find that to happen. Jesus calls all of his children to be peacemakers. Part of peacemaking is understanding what causes conflict and then providing solid biblical wisdom to those seeking God's counsel. In today's message, Pastor Mark warns you to never take sides on an issue until you have heard both parties speak. Scripture points out that you can only rightly discern what's going on between two feuding people when you hear each person speak. Then, once you've obtained information from both parties, you can better counsel each one in love on the right course of action to solve the conflict and reconcile. Well, let's join Pastor Mark with today's message from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 14. So last time we met together, remember, we talked about in 2 Samuel, David had a a couple of tragedies happen in his own household. As any parent would be bummed out by these events that took place, you know, he'd had a daughter that was raped by uh, a half-brother, a son that was murdered, um, another son um, on the run in Absalom, avenged the, the rape of his sister by killing that half-brother. And so David's nephew, Joab, is now showing up on the scene. And he's the commanding general of the Israelite military also. So not only is he related to David, but he's a commanding military general here. And so he has, you know, walked with David through some very deep valleys of life. He's climbed to those pinnacle mountaintops, with him, those heights of power. So he's been by David's side for a long time. And if you have a good friend or a best friend that goes along with you through the good times and the bad times, you kind of know what I'm talking about here. You have somebody, hopefully they're truthful. They're not just the guy that shakes their head or the girl that's like, oh yeah, man, I feel bad for you. It's a horrible thing. But hopefully that person tells you the truth, is able to say, hey, you know, in a loving way, Maybe you should look at yourself. Maybe you're blowing it. And I have a friend that's like that. I'll call him and I'll complain and um, say some stuff and just just kind of gripe about things. And he'll be like, hey, you know what, dude? I love you, but you're stupid. So that's the wrong way to look at things. And so sometimes I, you need that. You need somebody to say that. I need that guy that just comes out. He's blunt. He's quick. And then other times I need it and he's really soft. I have another friend that's kind of a little softer and he'll always tell me, you know, well, let me pray for you, and then we'll see what the Lord says, and he'll take me to a place in the Scriptures and, and just kind of remind me what the Bible says about those things. And so there are going to be people in your life that will either be ministers of, of reconciliation or what they'll be is they're going to be somebody that probably can make you bitter. And we need to make sure that we are hanging out, um, not with the instigators, actually, those instigators 
most likely always play to the fleshly desires. You know, they always play to the, they, they'll play because they don't want to make any ripples in the water. They sound like, dude, you should flatten that guy's tires before he does something more to you. Or why would you do that for him? They never shown you love or never given you anything nice. So why would you do that back to them? And so a person who wants and desires to see reconciliation will obviously say, even though that person has, has ruined or has wronged you, you should, you should be kind to them and give them you know, a gift. Tell them that you love them or you, you want to be their friend. They'll always give you the better way. Now, sometimes our flesh doesn't like the better way. And so, you know, it happens, though. It allows us to maybe win them to the Lord if we do that. So let's see what happens in David's life. Look at chapter 14. Verse 1 says, So Joab, the son of Zariah, perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Let's stop there. So here's this dad that longs to see his son that misses his son, and there's something heavy, some kind of heavy baggage. And we know what that heavy baggage is between the two of those guys. Uh, This son killed another son. And there's so much bitterness that's in these relationships here that there's only silence that's taken place. And so Joab sees a son that's longing to be with his dad, and a dad that's longing to be with his son, and he wants to help, and he wants to bring unity. He wants to unite these two, bring them back together in a peaceful place, and bring healing to the family. And so this is a, uh, you know, sometimes people will look and say, man, you know, uh, this might be a devious scheme. He's got this woman here that he goes to, and, and you can see it is a little devious, and though the plan is to get this woman to pretend to be in mourning, and if you're taking note, Turn with me to Hebrews 5, and I'll show you a verse um, in Hebrews 5, Hebrews 5, verse 12. And you see what Joab's trying to do. He is just trying to heal the family. He's trying to make things right between David and Joab. So Hebrews chapter 5 is where we'll be, and look at verse 12. It says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need the milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of us have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. <clears throat> so here, Hebrews five twelve tells us that by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles is what he's saying. I like what the ESV says. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled. And then in verse 14 he says, but solid food is for the mature, for the mature. You think about Paul's making a comparison to Christians and, and, and using babies. Babies that are brand new babies, obviously, once they're born, because we've had a couple of them, and they just don't come out with a full set of teeth. They can't chew meat. 
And those little digestive systems cannot digest that stuff. They're only able to drink. And so here Paul says, though some of you have been introduced to the word of God, there are those of you who are still drinking milk. Meaning you're not digging deep into the word of God. So Paul wished that they had went for the meat and beyond the milk. And and that tends to happen sometimes. He says, I wish you were wise for in using this word, you will become wise. And when you think about it, then you will be able to discern good and evil. So you may be looking on and you see someone not getting along with someone else. And you might think, well, you know what? I wish I was a peacemaker. I wish I could be that peacemaker. And sometimes we can be too close. Maybe you're too close to someone. But here's the deal. If if you're mature enough, if we have the word of God, if we know the word of God, then you can be that peacemaker, whether you're close or not. And oftentimes the trick is to think that we're too close, that something's going to happen. And again, if some, maybe the Lord's calling you, maybe he's not. That, that's what we need to learn to discern. Because a lot of times what happens is somebody, there'll be some kind of battle within a family or a battle within a relationship. And you're there, you witness it, you see it, and you're like, oh, man, this is horrible. Kind of like Joab. He doesn't like what's going on in his family. So they hear about it, and they just, the other person, they go to him, and they say, hey, maybe you should reconcile this situation. And they just won't hear of it. And if they're not wise in the scriptures, they'll be stuck there just arguing the issues as well as anyone else. So you'll involve another person. Maybe you'll be that third party, and you're just arguing the scriptures along with it or arguing with them and nothing's getting done instead of you know being able to use the scriptures to really make a point that God maybe wants to reconcile the situation. So today, are you somebody that can help reconcile a situation? Are you a peacemaker or are you an instigator? And, and, and we need to take a close look at that because Joab's strategy was essentially the same as Nathan's. When you think about it, he, though he, he, it's kind of, we might think it's devious, we see him going to a woman, but he would find someone and have them obtain an audience with the king. He, he, wants them, he wants the king to seek judgment. He wants that person to want a judgment on a situation. And so he lets the king pronounce judgment and then compel the king to apply that judgment to himself. He does the same thing Nathan does. And Joab wanted, he hoped that David would implement in his own life this wise advice he had given the woman. And we're going to see what that is in a minute. Whenever you hear a story, be sure you get both sides. I hear a lot of stories a lot of times, and people will tell me something about another person. And one of my first rule of thumbs is, well, if that person's not here, let's not talk about them. Let's wait and bring both of you in, and we'll get together and we'll talk about it. And then once you hear that other half of the story, it begins to make perfect sense. You tend to see that somebody has either perceived something very wrong or took it, twisted it, and made it something else in their own head. Or the other thing could be that it's all 100% completely right, but I've yet to find that to happen. So it can bring about change. This can bring about change in David's life. It can bring about change in your life. When somebody comes to you with a problem, a gripe, a complaint, just always try to find out the second half of that story. So in David's life, Joab is the agent. If you're taking note, you can be the agent. And an agent, if you're going to be an agent of reconciliation, then you probably would need an agenda. Let's look at that. Verse 3. It says, go to the king, Joab says, 
And speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground, prostrated herself, and said, Help, O king. And then the king said to her, What troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them, but one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant, and they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. And so you see this story, hopefully it reminds you of something back in Genesis. Remember Cain and Abel, two brothers, they fought, they're out in the field, the Lord shows up. So I think personally as I read this that Joab probably says, hey, you know what? David's going to recall this situation, but he's also going to be able to pass judgment on it because he wants David to use the scriptures to make his judgment. And so what's this woman looking for? You know, when we study the Bible, we have to ask ourselves, what's going on here? Why is this? Or the big so what? So what's the big deal? Why does he have this woman going here? Well, she's looking for sympathy and understanding. Though she's acting, she's a great actor. And you and I know that a movie, theater acts, things like that, if they're good enough, they can move you emotionally. So he finds a wise woman that obviously knows how to act. And because at this point in time, hearts have had an opportunity to grow cold in the situation that she brings up and hard. So she comes in, she gives the story, and if you want to check out Genesis 4, this story bears a resemblance to Cain and Abel. And as she cries out for sympathy and understanding, she's going to take the hard part of David's heart, and she's going to mold it and make it soft by telling this story about these two brothers. And so she makes it soft towards the counsel of God. So whenever you counsel someone with a hard heart, Or whenever you talk to someone with a hard heart, you've got to soften their heart first. Proverbs 25.11 says that a word fitly spoken is like apples in in a gold setting, or apples of gold in settings of silver. And so sometimes if you choose the right words, think about it. Don't react right away. Spend some time considering and just meditating on what's going on in the lives of these people. Another verse in verse 15 of Proverbs 25 says, By long forbearance a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. And so when we see this, a widow approaches David here in tears, tells the story, and Joab, knowing David, had the knowledge of the scriptures, would remember and go back to like maybe Genesis 4. It's the trade shoes scenario. I'm going to put on the shoes of this individual and see things from their point of view. And if you were in my shoes, king, she says, what would you do? King, if you were in my sandals, how would you handle this situation? Now, a few Fridays ago, I had an opportunity to actually use this strategy in a rental car situation. My wife and I, she was going to New Mexico. We had to rent a car. We go back into the place. and We go into the place, get the car, and as we're driving back to the conference we were at, uh, I get out of the car for some reason, and I walk up to the front, and I look, and there's a bubble in the tire. 
Now, she's going to take this car from Dallas to New Mexico, and there's a lot of desert between Dallas and Albuquerque. And I'm thinking, man, if this thing blows out, her and both my kids are on the side of the road, what, what would happen? Who would she call? And so I call the rental car place, and she goes in. She's sitting inside the conference, and I go outside, and I'm talking to the person. And they're like, well, you need to do this, 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 and the other thing. And I remember about to get mad because it was crazy. I was like, why can't you guys just bring us another car? I mean, you always see the Enterprise, you know, commercials. Well, why don't you just bring us another car? I don't care if it's wrapped up or not. Just bring us another car, and we can just call it, you know, swap it out. And this place is like, no, we got to bring out a tow truck and they got to assess the situation. And then after he assesses the situation, he'll put on a spare tire. And then, and I'm like, well, then, so she's got, how long will that spare tire last? 50 miles. Okay, did you not hear me say that my wife's driving from Dallas to Albuquerque? And it's a little further than 50 miles. Oh, well, we still got to send a tow truck out. Oh, all right. So I wait and the tow truck gets there. And as the guy gets there, the, the car rental place calls me and says, is the tow truck there? I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to the guy right now. What's he say? I go, he hadn't said anything yet. He's still sitting inside of his truck. But I'll let you know as soon as he does. So he gets out and the guy goes, oh, it's not so bad. And I'm like, it's not so bad. There's a bubble in the tire and it's bigger than it was when I first looked at it. It's like, it's, it, like something got this thing and it just keeps growing like it had bad gas or something. And so I was just like, man, this is unbelievable. And so I was like, well, here's the deal. This guy wants to just, you know, he says it's okay. You say change the tire. Can I trade it out? Would that work? Well, the place you rented it from is closed. You have to drive all the way downtown to the airport. I'm like, I'm cool with that. Will you give me a discount? Well, you have to talk about it when you turn it in. So it's like, all right. So we go down there and we kind of walk in, you know, and, and I did. I used this. I told the guy on the phone, I said, listen, if your wife and kids were going on a road trip, would you want them traveling in this car? And he stopped and he paused for a moment. And he was like, no. And I was like, so you're going to, can we just go trade it out? Yes. We normally don't do that. We would rather just put another tire on. And I was like, but just, can you just do that for us? Yes. So we get there, we get another car. It works. Put yourself in my shoes, dude. Instead of me getting crazy and calling them names and, you know, where are you at? I'll find you. Are you in Dallas? And he's like, probably not. They're never in Dallas. They're always somewhere else, in Australia or wherever. So we have this agent. The agent needs to have an agenda. Look at verse 8. Here's the agenda. And so here, then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning, concerning you. And so... And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, My lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So here's this lady. She's concerned about the king. She's kind of like what you would call a patriot. She, she really wants the best. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you in, any more. And then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God... And do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son shall fall to the ground. So you feel God has called you to be an agent, maybe. After we read this section, maybe the Lord's calling you to be an agent, to bring about peace, and you have studied the word, and you're like, okay, man, you know, I feel good. I have my quiet time every day. I think I know what I could say to this person. I know where I can take them in the scriptures to show this person they're wrong and, and the good things they've done. 
And so you feel good, but what needs to happen? The question would be, what does that look like? What is needed to bring about the change? And so just as Joab had hoped, David had ruled that the son's life was to be spared. Now, there's a couple of things in here that you might be questioning. What is the avenger of blood? Well, the avenger of blood would be somebody that the family would send to avenge the death of the murderer. But that would happen in a, in a manslaughter situation or even in a murder situation. There was a, a rule that like, hey, if somebody killed one of your relatives, you could send somebody out to avenge the blood of that relative. But since this wasn't a manslaughter situation, Absalom could not go to a city of refuge. And though it's happening inside of David's family, David didn't send an avenger of blood. So this lady kind of, she's playing this role, covering all her bases, worried about the avenger of blood. And so what David says is not, no one's going to touch you anymore, and not one of his hairs shall fall to the ground. And so David makes sure that she's, he's got, you know, the whole thing down. He studied, he looks at it. And so Joab is, uh, the thing that's happening is what Joab had hoped to happen and that son's life was to be spared. The king's decision to spare the murderer's life was based on legal mandates in the Torah. And so for this um, explicit command required the son's death. Anytime there was a murder, there was required a death. But rather, the king's decision was based on a very narrative account within the Torah. The narrative account of the Lord's merciful invention in Cain's life. Remember how the Lord said, nobody's going to harm you. So David goes back. He does what Joab wants. He goes back and he remembers like, hey, man, there is a situation like this somewhere. Where was that? Oh, yeah, Cain and Abel. Any good Jewish boy would know that story. And so he says, hey, yeah, but the Lord didn't avenge Cain's life. And he even said that if anyone tries to come after this guy, that they would be the ones in trouble. So here, in spite of legal guidelines to the contrary set forth by the Lord himself, It provided an enlightening insight into the Lord's own application of conventional law. Yahweh the merciful in Exodus 34, 5-7, he who had spared both Cain and David from the Torah-mandated death sentences had established a definitive precedent for David's decision of the murderer's sentence. Because David would have fell into that same problem when he killed Uriah, had Uriah killed. Remember Bathsheba's husband? So both David and Cain are spared. David was doubly justified in choosing to spare the son because killing him would snuff out the lineage of this woman. And so the only only burning coal, as she said in verse 7, so the woman had left and leave her husband neither name nor remnant on the face of the earth. The book of 2 Samuel continues the story of David, the second king of the nation of Israel. From his ascension to the throne, to his battlefield victories, to his sins and failures, God continually describes David as a man after his own heart. This distinction reminds us that though we fail, our God still delights in having us a part of his family. We can bring our sins to him in an attitude of repentance, knowing he offers us grace anew for each morning. We'd love to pray for you and encourage you in your journey of faith. So please give us a call. Let us know how you heard about Come Alive and feel free to ask us any questions you have and we'll do our best to answer. Call us at 281-391-5503. Do you live in or are you visiting the Katy area? If so, we want to meet you. 
Here's Tracy with more information. Calvary Chapel Katy is a great group of Jesus followers who are ready and waiting to welcome you into our family. We'll make sure you find a friendly smile and a listening ear. We genuinely want to get to know you. Come and see us on Sunday at 10 a.m. or find out more about our men's and women's Bible studies. Give us a call with any questions and to get directions. Our phone number is 281-391-5503. See you there. Thanks, Tracy. Tune in again for more from 2 Samuel right here on Come Alive.